delighted that you have found the Mindset Mental Meets podcast. I'm Angela Cox, your host and indeed the Mindset Mentor, and I'll be interviewing executives and founders at the top of their game to find out what lies beneath. I want to know what makes people proud, how they define success, what holds them back and indeed what drives them forward. This is authentic and natural conversation with the best in the business. So listen in, enjoy and if you love what you hear, please do leave a review. And now over to today's guest. Welcome to today's episode. Now, my guest today is in his potting shed in Twickenham, and he is yeah. surrounded by all sorts of things. We've got, I can see kind of fur blankets, and there's mass from Africa. It looks very eclectic and curious. He is the MD and co founder at Critical Eye, and Critical Eye is a business that is passionate about making other businesses better. Charlie Wagstaff, it is a joy to have you on the show. How are you? Very, very well indeed. And thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to have a conversation with you. Although uh, probably you'll tell me it's a conversation with me. But (laughs) (laughs) it is a conversation with you. I'm looking forward to it very much indeed. A very good morning to you. Oh, it's such a joy to have you on the show. We've never met before. We haven't even spoken until about 10 minutes ago. But we have engaged on social media before because, of course, Matthew, Matthew Blagg, the other founder at Critical Eye, the one of the three, has been on our show before. And you, of course, wrote a review about it. So that's how we got to know each other. It is indeed. Yes. So very, very nicely followed up and said, go and give it a go. Yes. And you are in your potting shed surrounded by all of this curious stuff. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, I suppose. Inevitably, everyone's had to find their space to work from during COVID. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there was this shed, an old potting shed, that thankfully my brother and I had put a little bit of insulation in, because otherwise Mm -hmm. it would be freezing. It has got rather a large number of windows, Mm -hmm. which is why it's a potting shed, because the idea was it's for seedlings to grow. So I'm in a place where seedlings would grow. That's why you look so young. (laughs) God, no. That's why I I like it because lots of light. I love light mm. and it means I can see clearly. And equally, I'm very fortunate. It is in Twickenham and there is a river that runs, a little river that runs at the end of the garden, which is tidal. And it does mean I can escape. And I think at the moment, everyone's needed a little bit of space to escape. Yeah. And it brings this wonderful sense of calm to you. I mean, I think you should be a hypnotherapist because you've got this this calming effect. I mean, I can feel it now. And really? not often do I feel calm, which is why I've got Buddha behind me as a permanent reminder to oh. be calm, Charlie. Well, nature is my calmness, definitely. Oh, it's just lovely. I know that you said in your review of the podcast that you love Shake the Pom Poms. <laughs> <laughs> did I? <laughs> no, I don't think you did. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to shake your pom poms. You should, I love it. <laughs> you're going to love it, honestly. People always go, "Oh my god, I can't do that. I don't like talking about myself, and I, I don't want to reflect on my proud moments." But 
I always think that it's so good for us to actually look back and think about what's great about us and what we've learned. So we're going to look into your top three and see where that takes us in terms of conversation. So I can't wait to see what you've got for me. What are we starting with? I thought you might throw the pom-poms at me. So (laughs) I I feel pom-pom is slightly short-lived. Go on, tell me about that. So I think there obviously are moments of pride, but invariably it is a a journey you're on. And I think when you look at what, why is someone pom-poming, it's probably because it's about self-esteem. And... I feel more comfortable talking about how, how I've acquired it, how it's built up. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a lovely opportunity when you approached me just to think down for a moment and reflect. And that's fact, you suddenly start seeing some trends. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, by the way. Um, so one of the pom-poms is that on numerous occasions, I've been the second choice. <laughs> ah. Why is that a pom-pom moment? And that's fact, sometimes it might even be said to be the third choice. But that's fact, I realised... At school, I became head boy, but I don't think I was the first choice. <laughs> it's just the other people were so naughty. Um, <laughs> you got I, it by default. <laughs> I don't think I had to get it by default. But I must admit, I think I delivered a pretty good outcome. But what was very, very useful about it, and everybody to understand, you can't be liked by everyone, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Massive and, learning point. And it's a real sort of moment of realisation that as long as you do the right thing and it feels sits well with you, then that's that's important. But also it hasn't happened just once, it's happened on a number of occasions. So there was a I went into HR and I worked for a company called British Steel, very traditional mm. manufacturing, 50,000 employees, very proud of its heritage. And there was an opportunity for me to look after their distribution, HR distribution. And I put my hand up, was interviewed. I did get the role, but I, I did find out the other candidate turned it down as their first choice. Ah. <laughs> but again, it's about, that didn't bother me too much. I think it was just like, okay. I thought, well, I've got it. And I loved the job and it really opened and expanded my horizons. And invariably, I think everything in life should be about how can I best expand my horizons? It happened again later in my career when I was working for an amazing company called CDC Capital Partners, which is now called Actis. I called British Steel is now called Chorus. And that was there was a job to support a group of director operating in Africa. CDC Capital Partners was a company all about investing in emerging and developing economies. I was an HR practitioner and moving people around the world. And this role came up to be based in Africa. I thought, yeah, this sounds exciting. I always loved travel, always loved understanding other cultures, being challenged. And again, I was not the first candidate. But mm. then I was given the opportunity. I was a sort of second choice, I think. And then went and lived in Africa for three years, which just explains the mask which I collected in my travelling. Responsible for 30,000 employees across mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa, doing crazy and amazing things. How old were you then? 30s. So did you have children at that point? No, but what I did do is, it was late 30s, I should say. 
what I did do is I had just started dating someone and I said, would you like to come out to Africa with me? Uh And thankfully she said yes. (laughs) But effectively we had worked together at British Steel. I then uh, had recruited her in. I had a little bit of influence in bringing her in and getting to know her. So I was very, very fortunate in that regard. And then she came out and then our daughter was born out in Africa. Oh, wow. And she has very strong ties with the country. Mm-hmm. And we just had an amazing experience. We also got married out there on Victoria Falls. So that was an amazing thing to be able to do. But also a very sort of romantic one, the one that's really sort of shaped who and what mm-hmm. we are, the family. It's probably something I'll come on to, hopefully, is about the other pom-pom moment is a family unit. Mm-hmm. And through shared experiences that really does bring strength the other time that I suppose I was the third choice even but it's not quite true is that setting up critical eye with Matt and Drew Matt had already identified and knew Drew very very well Mm -hmm. and then I got him involved in recruiting for the largest farm in Africa which we owned and looking for a CEO and that's how I got to know Matt but I invited him out to our wedding, and it was a very small wedding. It was in a, a wonderful location, Victoria Falls. And what was quite amusing was that we ended up taking on our honeymoon two people with us, one of whom was Matt. <laughs> and the other one was a vicar, who was a, who was a minor canon from Windsor Castle. He was a very good friend, and he came over and, and did the service for us. And then we couldn't say bye. After we put them over, they said, Oh, just come along and join us on our <laughs> safari. So we went on safari. It was very, very cold morning. So there's, there's Debbie and I sharing one room, and, and Matt and Alan sharing another. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that was a bit of a bonding moment for all of us. And from that moment, then the relationship and you actually co founding Critical Eye, that's where that started. That's how it spawned where, through that relationship. And Matt said, you know, when you come back to the UK, drop us a line. Might be something we can do together. So I kept that little business card and we kept a sort of contact. Ah. And then when I did come back, we then hitched up. And then that's really how Critical Eye then started. The so not really third choice, is it? It's just that you were added to the party. Yeah, it's, it's a nice third choice, actually. Mm. But the three of us, interesting. I think what's been fascinating is when you do start up a which I suppose is my my second sort of pom-pom moment, is you know, building something from scratch. You throw yourself at something, you make a bit of a gamble, you back mm-hmm. yourself, you downsize because you don't pay yourself and all those sort of things for a period of time. But if you believe in what you're doing and we do and did or didn't do, then it will happen. It will materialize. Mm-hmm. And you put a lot of energy into it and lots of hours. But it, I think... If you're going to start something from scratch, you've got to have that belief because you've got to put that time in. Let's go back, first of all, to the second choice thing, because there's so many elements in there that I think are relevant to so many. I think what I love about the way that you describe that is that it is second choice rather than second best, because in that scenario, it would be so easy to see yourself as second best because you weren't picked first. But actually what you're demonstrating in all of these elements is that there's been lessons in there in terms of things that last a lifetime, like this idea that you can't be liked by everyone. 
Yeah. I didn't even learn that until I was 42. Yeah. I wish I'd learned that earlier. <laughs> um, but also, actually, some of the best experiences that you've had have come from those opportunities of being second in the lineup. And then you've gone on to have the most incredible experiences in your life as a result. So it's almost like synchronicity, I think. One person's moved out of the way so that you can come in. Yeah. And by the way, I always love these parts of your podcast because it's when you come in with your observations, you go, I hadn't thought about it like that. So I'm enjoying our conversation so much. Yeah, I think it is. It's just about these things materialise and it's okay. Mm, And just get on with it. And these things that sometimes aren't, I think, meant to happen for whatever the reason is, it probably makes you tougher and more resilient as a result. Yeah. It makes you think you've fought for it, whether you have or not, I'm not sure, but you do believe you've really fought for it. Good things in life are worth fighting for. Mm, I like that. I like that. Good things in life are worth fighting for. Tell me, were you second choice with your good lady? (laughs) I ask her. (laughs) (laughs) She's a key part of our family unit, as, as you would expect. And we both decided to get married later in our lives, but that's yeah. because we wanted to find the right person. Yeah. Each of us wanted to find the right person. And it's interesting when you talk to people about marriage and things like that. I was impacted very much by the divorce of my parents at a very a quite young age, but it affected me and my brother in different ways. Mm. And um, that's always been interesting to observe. We are very different, but we actually love each other a great deal. And we accept one another for who and what we are. Mm. And that's the other part of life, isn't it? It's accepting people for who and what they are. Um, but he is an essential part of, of my family unit, as is Debbie. I love the fact that you just kind of throw that comment in accepting people for who and what they are. That I mean, that's such a challenge for so many people to do that because they come from their own map of the world and find it really difficult to understand other people's perspectives and therefore find it challenging to accept others for who they are. How did you learn to do that? I don't know. I always look at parallels. One of the things I always encourage people to do is to get out of sight their comfort zone. It's okay because there's always something there that you'll find that you can relate to. Mm. And if you can find something you can relate to, then it gives you that comfort. If you've got that bedrock, that comfort, then you can explore from there. You can navigate from there. I've always loved other people's perspectives. It's replenished, inspired me, enabled me to look at things in different ways. I hate parochialism. It makes me cringe a little bit. But I, again, I understand why people might be like that. But it does, I think, bring disadvantage to people. Mm. And if you can be accepting of other individuals, and it's not easy. No. But there is a reason why. I've been watching so many series out there, so good at them. But I've been watching Happy Valley. Okay. Is it a police programme? Yeah. My God, is it tough and bleak. But it's very interesting just to be reminded, I've been watching it with my daughter, and we sort of, is that people's perspectives on what they want themselves to believe and what they Mm. want others to know so different. It's based on their own experiences. It's so apparent in that, and it's quite good to be reminded about that. But I love what you've just said about other people's perspectives being an opportunity for you to feel replenishment. And I think that's the key from kind of my map of the world. Mm. So many people see other people's perspectives as threat, 
Whereas actually, if you can reframe that and look at it, as you say, as an opportunity to feel replenishment, that is a lovely thing to hook into. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. No, it's just it's just who and what I am. And it's it's enabled me to cope with, I think, a lot. It's a coping tactic, actually. Mm. Yeah, but it's it, one that you have to choose to do. Yeah, I suppose I'm always half glass full. Mm. And that that makes a difference, I think. Really and I think you just, you just know self-observation of yourself and other people. Then there's so many learnings constantly going on around you every day, every minute. And that just empowers you, enables you. And as long as you don't let it get to you too much, you've got to box certain things off. Mm. And I think you can only do so much as an individual to help people. So we've got this element of self-esteem, building self-esteem over time, which is all yeah. about looking at that position of second choice and actually seeing the opportunities that it's brought you and the learnings. And then you started to kind of talk about this idea of building something from scratch as your yeah. second yeah. pom-pom. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that because the resilience that that takes and the energy and the risk is huge. I suppose the second one is taking control of destiny. You Ooh. can you can control it. And it's very, very important to probably do that. I worked in a corporate world, learned a hell of a lot from it. It made me who and what I am, dealt with all sorts of different situations. Quite a lot of people I worked with were bullies. My leaders were mm. bullies. And that was interesting. And I didn't know how to cope with bullying at first because it was my mother who brought us up. My mother never bullied. A woman doesn't bully very often in the way mm. that men typically do. And it is done from a position of weakness, not power. And therefore, responding to that, understanding that if you were going to create your own path, you need to determine what that is and take control. In a corporate environment, invariably you don't and can't unless you get to the very top. But even yeah. then, it's very, very tough. There was a deep desire, therefore, to jump out of the corporate world, which has been very good to me. I learned a lot into setting something up from scratch. And that was about transitioning and backing yourself. And why not? Why? <laughs> I love that. Why not? Indeed. But believing in yourself, again, is something that many of us find difficult. So to be able to control the path of your destiny, your future, has to be a certain element of dreaming in that. There needs to be a certain element of planning. But that foundation of self-belief is core when the doubt is creeping in, being able to reframe that. Not everybody can do that. So how do you do it? I did sitting back again, reflecting in my family, there does seem to be a trait of doing their own thing. So my great grandfather had an amazing, this is back in the, you know, the Victorian era, had an amazing haberdashery, that's a great word, haberdashery store in a market town in Stamford in Lincolnshire. It's where they filmed Middlemarch. It's a stunning yeah. place. And it was enormous. And he, he lived until 99. He was quite a dominant individual. But he brought basically the London's wonderful clothes into the country and was very, very successful. Had a lovely house that we lived in for a very short space of time. So he did his own thing. My father stepped out of corporate world. He was a teacher and then went into insurance, but then set up a restaurant on the Isle of Mull, west coast of Scotland, middle of nowhere, and had people like Two Fat Ladies and Floyd turn up and, and things like that. And he cooked with them on the beach. And oh, wow. But he lived a very... He lives a very 
honourable, basic life. It's not materialistic. It's very frustrating on occasions. You buy him a wonderful hat and then he goes, that's lovely, and then wears his old hat. <laughs> but that, that's, that doesn't bother him. And he I love happy. the fact you buy him a hat. <laughs> it's a beanie, actually. It's a bit, <laughs> and a certain type of material we had to find because it didn't irritate his head. We, I think we nailed it in the end after about five attempts. So you've um, just broken the illusion then. I kind of had this, you know, like a Stetson <laughs> or something like that going on. <laughs> no, it's only, no, it's only a beanie. Okay. So he did his own thing. Debbie, my wife, she is an alternative healer. She's done her own thing. My brother has set up a business up in the south of France and done well, but equally had a very mm. challenging time where he um, had to close the business because his partner had embezzled rather a lot of money. Wow, sis. So these things, you know, these we've all tried things, haven't we? Mm. And sometimes it's not going to work. Um, so there's lots of evidence that it can work and lots of role models around you. I think that helps, yeah. And great partners that you work with as well, so you're not entirely on your own. Yeah. But on those days, you must have, oh, it can't just be me, please tell me it's not just me, that has these days where you feel like you've kind of hit that wall and how are you going to get through it? You know, and is it just easier to stay where you are rather than keep trying to forge ahead? How do you cope with those moments? Um, it's a bit like water. If you watch water flow down a stream, it hits a stone, but then navigates around it. Yeah. And you've just got to do that in life. There's always a way around it. So sit down, reflect. I think sometimes reflecting can be done by the subconscious. So I used to find the family was such a place of refuge when setting up the business. And it's a young family, and it's a slightly crazy thing to do. Why set up a business when <laughs> Africa, you've got a young family, you're coming back into a world that you've been away from for mm. 34 years. Everything's changed. You've changed. And then you decide to set up a business. But the family was a refuge, so I could attain some form of normality. Oh, a ladybird's just landed on me. Oh. And therefore, that was very, very important. That sanctuary was important. And, I and this is this kind of third moment, isn't it? Or third trend is this family unit. I think the family unit you can find in different places as well. So it's not that necessarily mm. it's a family in its broadest sense. So the family is Debbie. Lucia and Gabrielle, most definitely, and my brother. But my father lives on the west coast of Scotland. He, we're very autonomous as units, but we, when we come together, then that's good. But we don't rely on one another to we yeah. don't, we don't use each other to craft. The other family is work. That is my family. Yeah. And therefore, you put a lot of heart and energy into that, into that family. And as founders, we've navigated through some... I mean, it's quite unusual for three people set up a company still to be together yeah to stay together 19 years that's because we, we are very different as characters you've met Matt so you will know that we are different but we're very accepting of that but equally we do have very much aligned values yeah but it's, it's that a, shared yeah, element it is that value set there's that mm. trust if you haven't got trust then in the family if you haven't got trust then it's not going to work in work if you haven't got trust it's just not going to work so taking control of your destiny does give you something, I think it comes back to that self-esteem, mm. something that you can believe in, that you can direct, you can take people on a journey with everyone's got to do it. Yeah, and anchoring to that thought that whatever happens, there's always a way around it. Yes, definitely. As long as you believe that you can. 
And that's what you're demonstrating through all of these examples that you're sharing. Love that. So we've got controlling your destiny. We've got this idea that being second choice is a huge opportunity. And you've already alluded to this third one, this family unit. Let's just talk a little bit more about that and sort of, you know, how you get this sanctuary that you talk about from your family. I don't know, to be honest, but I didn't think I wanted to have children when I was younger. And I don't know why I didn't think that. If you don't have a father, you don't have a benchmark. Mm. And I think it might be more significant than I thought. How old were you when he left? 13. Mm. And then you step up into the role of being that sort of alternative male head. Yeah. But I think it's what's been fantastic is it's made me a better male by being brought up by my mother. I like to think so, anyway. She definitely left a great impression and a positive one, which is fantastic. My father, we found out later on in conversation, he just said I couldn't cope with young children. And what we've tried to do is try to introduce our children to him and realise that, you know, there's no, you can't force something. No. You have no. to accept him for what he is and embrace what he is. My brother can't accept it. Probably going to end up listening to this. But anyway, he knows that. We discussed it. He can't accept it. Mm. And for me, I've needed to accept it to go on to that next stage and work with what you've got. It's not ideal. I look at other families and think, well, that big family unit, isn't that just wonderful? But equally, I know that big family unit has little problems as well. Yeah, every family does. <laughs> but there's that moment of compassion and forgiveness for what has been that's impacted negatively. It's that where the freedom is and that that can help you grow into being a great dad yourself. I hope so. I mean, as a family unit, there's no way I'm going to put through my children what I went mm. through. And I'm not saying that was necessarily a bad thing. I just don't want them to, there's no need to repeat it. And I think therefore, if you can give a, everything that you can and attention and support, but mm. also give the children autonomy. I'm not someone who lives my life through my children because I think that is mm. not good. They've got to develop their own way. They've got to be their own little humans, haven't they? Yeah. But you can create the value set. And I, what's lovely, and, and you know, it, it is something I suppose <laughs> proud of, is in actual fact they've got their own value set and I'm very proud of that value set. And I think there's a certain juncture you might get to in life where you say, I'm at peace with what we've done, what we've set up. And that's okay. That's good. Yeah, that's pride. You know, if, right if, I there. Was my, if I was to pop my socks tomorrow, be okay with that. I love that. I love that. Because so often we're berating ourselves for all the things that we've not done or all the things that we get wrong, but to actually to be able to look at the key element of your life and to know that you've done okay because it's all there in front of you. Yeah, and I th- I th- there's always this thing about have you left the world and I think what's driving me now is that I want to make quite sure we've left the world in a better place than when we came in. Yeah. I am very concerned about that and that keeps me awake at night at the moment. And what do you mean by that? What's your definition of leaving it in a better place? I am concerned about the sustainability of, of the world as it currently mm. exists and people understanding what consumerism means and looks like and taking ownership. And I don't think mm. people are willing to take ownership enough and that worries me. But that's okay. I think it's about finding a mechanism that can support them in understanding that and appreciating what it might look like. And we're, we are spending definitely a lot of time with leaders who we know are very equally concerned about that as well. Mm. 
they do sit in a position where they can make an impact. But so does everyone, by the way. Everyone does mm -hmm. make their own contribution. But I fully understand why people might not be able to feel or appreciate why that's got anything to do with them or why it's important. And it's a drop in the ocean, isn't world. it? It's such a big world we live in. Yeah. But I do think if you are a leader, you have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. That is the way it goes. And, and education is a big part of that, isn't it? What you, If you're in that position where you can teach people what they need to do differently and why it will have an impact. Because often the lack of action is because of a lack of education. Yeah, I think it's it's just understanding where you fit. There's a jigsaw mm. and things are all in, interconnected. And if you can, that's a key thing that I'd like to work out is where do I fit? What is the overall framework of that jigsaw? And therefore, what can I do to support a picture being created that people can understand what it is they're dealing with and feel comfortable with it and making it bite-sizable because yeah. my god is it complex and knowing that that drop in the ocean however small it seems the individual contribution there's many drops isn't there if we all do it and it does make a difference yeah and i think it's about at the end of the day it's about anyone feeling at peace with who and what they are and you're certainly at peace. I mean, you know, I said this at the beginning, this calmness, based on what you've said now and this acceptance of people for who they are, acceptance of yourself, acceptance of some of the more challenging experiences, it's that that brings a sense of calm. And we could all do with a bit of that. <sighs> how many years has it taken you to get there? I, can't, I don't know how old you are, Charlie, but I'm going to ask. No, I'm 58. So how many years? I think it's been one of the, it's the journey of life, isn't it? <laughs> and I think it's been one of the wonderful things of, of setting something up, shaping something yeah. with two dear colleagues that we're all very passionate about. And of course, there's frustrations, but there is some belief in, in what we are doing. And you've got to do it slowly, slowly. You can't, mm. you can't change the world overnight. And just being in such a fortunate position of being in front of such amazing people. And being able to get that oversight of what drives them. Mm. Listening, you've got just doing a lot. I mean, this is, for me, talking as much as I am now, it's quite unusual. I'm normally, <laughs> I'm normally in your seat asking the questions. So I feel slightly funny being on this side of the table, to be honest. But having that opportunity to sit, absorb, take away sound bites, have things affirmed, have things challenged. I mean, we sit in such an amazing place at Critical Eye. And that has enabled me to understand and feel comfortable with what's going on, I suppose. It's definitely helped, anyway. It's marvellous. And I, I guess then, you know, we've heard you talk about the second choice, the opportunities that that brings, controlling your own destiny and that that's completely doable. And then you're talking about this importance of the family unit. So three trends that have shaped your life. Mostly, yeah. So I guess I'm sitting here now wondering how that all contributes to your definition of success. And if you were going to put that in a nice, succinct little package, what would it be? I think I learned this very early on and I think really helped me. And it simply is being different. It does not make you a victim. It makes oh, you unique. Yeah. Being different doesn't make you a victim. A victim. It makes you unique. And if you can understand that that uniqueness is what's going to differentiate yourself, because invariably I think people try to coalesce too much and try to be part of something. Yes. 
And my mother had OCD, and it's a time when we didn't understand mm. what they were. And it was triggered, out fact, I think, in talking to my father very recently. This is the other thing about relationships, about why it's important to hang on in there, because it's through later conversations that I learned so much. Yeah. Or more. Well, it learned his side of the story, because if you're brought up by one, you... Yes. And understandably so. But he said his side of the story is that an actuate is triggered by the birth of myself and my brother, oh. or it exacerbated it or brought it on. And at that time, back in the 60s, 70s, OCD was not understood. No. Still um, isn't, to but, a certain extent. No, I'm sure it probably isn't. And so the person who reached out and supported my parents was a gynecologist who was, as I think, a family sort of friend as well. And with OCD, it's about cleanlinesses. And, mm. But we didn't know what, what was it, the trick. Was it needing her needing to be us need one? Well, my mum needing to be in a clean place, a new place? What was it? Uh, out in the country, out in the city? Okay. So we tried all these different things. My mum actually eventually found a way to manage it. But it did mean we moved around the country quite a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I counted up the schools I went to, all these different schools, probably went to about 14, 15 different schools. So you had to go in and then you were categorised. You, you yes. You categorised, you put into a thing. And I was put into the slightly strange box, I suppose. Spoke a certain way, was pretty independent. It also meant I didn't follow a football team as well. <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Well, I'm very happy with it, by the way, but I wondered why I didn't. And it's probably because I never had a, a base, mm. but you had to move from one place to the next and mm. adapt. So whether it was living in Scotland, whether it was living in all sorts of different parts of the UK, but that made me also comfortable with moving, com yeah. more comfortable having to be with who and what I am. Mm. And therefore I understand that's okay. You know, this idea of moving all the time, particularly when you're young, I work with so many people who experience that and and then have this challenge with lack of belonging you know yeah. desire to fit in but then losing their authenticity but actually what we've got here is a spin that is makes you great at transition makes you great at adapting to a new yeah. set of circumstances makes you independent and actually being able to see your own difference your own authenticity as a positive and as something that serves you as opposed to something that erodes and takes away from you know if I'm going to take anything away from today's conversation I think that's the absolute nugget and this phrase that you keep using throughout the podcast which is acceptance of who and what I am and yeah. acceptance of who and what other people are which, you know, if we were going to call this podcast anything, it might be that because it's just such a beautiful phrase with such a deep meaning. Yeah, and I think it's just about go with the flow, mm. go with that situation. Go with that river that runs down the bottom of your yeah. garden. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. And it's all right to be different mm. and celebrate, as fact, celebrate it because that's what yes. makes the world that's a fantastic place. And each of those people can bring something different to you in your life and make it more special and challenge challenge you shake your pom-poms around the difference i think you need a set of pom-poms in that potting shed you know like <laughs> just right there where there's like gap between the two masks you can yeah, they've got very nice yeah, yeah. Color, maybe color silver well it's at times yeah isn't it yeah i think I, you know it's a must an installation 
that is a must. I'll send you a video. (laughs) Oh, Charlie, it's been grounding. It's been calming. Been hugely inspirational in an understated way. I just loved it. Thank you for being so open and honest with me. Angela, it's been lovely to catch up. You've been looking forward to this and been thinking about it and feel very fortunate that you approached me. So thank you. And so just like that, we're at the end of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time listening today. And a big thank you from me for taking the time. I'd really love it if you would be able to leave a review because it really does help us to get noticed. And if you haven't already, why not subscribe and then you never miss an episode. I wish you a lovely rest of the day, whatever it is that you're doing. And I hope that you stay safe and well.